once verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Captains, you're listening to episode 304 of Priority One Podcast, your weekly report on all things Star Trek, recorded live on Facebook on Thursday, February 2nd, 2017, and available for download or streaming on Monday, February 6th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Tony. And in the recording booth is our audio engineer, Winters. Hello, everyone. All right, Tony, what do we have coming up this week? This week we trek out the latest information, including a couple of rumors from Star Trek Discovery. In Star Trek Online news, console players are getting some great new starships, and art is taking center stage. Later, Jace is here with another Treklet 101. As always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Of course, don't forget to keep the conversation going at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast or on Twitter at Priority One Pod. You can also send us an email via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Thanks again to all of our Patreon supporters who make this show possible from week to week. Did you know that when you support us through Patreon at the $10 level and up, your contribution gets you access to our exclusive audio feed of all of our live recordings, after hours, and extra content from Star Trek events. Just head to our page at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Log in, and you'll find an audio RSS link on the right-hand side of the page. Simply use that link in any podcast catcher and have our patrons-only feed delivered straight to you. That address again, whether you're an existing patron or just want to find out how to get access to our patrons-only audio feed, go to patreon.com forward slash priority one. And once again, we thank all of our patrons for their monthly support. All right, now it's time to trek out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. Can Sonequa Martin-Green be in two places at once? Well, a few weeks ago, we tweeted an article from Entertainment Weekly that tackled what her new role on Star Trek could mean for her role as Sasha on The Walking Dead. My guess is that Sasha's next to go in the Negan era. <laughs> but everyone involved with The Walking Dead, including Martin Green herself, is very tight-lipped about Sasha's fate. The most Entertainment Weekly got was from Scott M. Gimple, The Walking Dead's showrunner, quote, Sonequa Martin-Green can do anything. She can fulfill the duties of a lieutenant commander on a Constitution-class starship, whilst battling walkers, saviors, and whatever gets in Sasha's way. We've had to juggle before. I will certainly juggle for Star Trek any day of the week. Well, maybe not on Sunday. End quote. Now, Eleanor Trenier, writer for MoviePilot.com, read between the lines and picked up on the fact that Gimple specifically said Constitution-class starship. Was this an intended tease? A slip of the tongue? Maybe Gimple is just a diehard Trekkie and was trying to flex his creds? 
Either way, Tremere speculates that his calling out of the Constitution class supports the theory that Martin Green will, in fact, play the same character that Majel Roddenberry played in the original series pilot, The Cage. After all, back in October, Brian Fuller is on record calling her character number one, quote, in honor of Major Barrett's character in the original pilot, end quote. Now, before you start throwing your arms up in the air for continuity's sake, don't forget that the making of Star Trek, the book, explains that the script described number one as, quote, never referred to anything but number one, this officer is female. Almost mysteriously female, in fact, slim and dark in a Nile Valley way, age uncertain, one of those women who will always look the same between 20 and 50, end quote. So, she could very well be a woman of color. There is a big part of me that really, really wants her to be that number one. And there's also, a, well, it's a slightly smaller part that doesn't want her to be that number one. So I'll start with the bit that doesn't want her to be that number one. Uh, and that's just because even though number one was only in one episode or half of two episodes, however you want to slice one and it. A half. One and a half, we'll call it. One and a half. She was in the pilot that was canceled and recycled, however. You yeah, know. exactly. It's kind of an iconic character in a way, and I almost don't want to retread that or in any way kind of cause any disrespect to Majel Barrett and her portrayal of that character. On the flip side, I want to know a lot more about number one, and if Sonequin Martin-Green gets to be number one and we get to find out about her background and how she became the character that we then see in The Cage slash The Menagerie, I really want to see that story. Like, really bad. I kind of don't. Part of the thing that I'm kind of worried about is that, you know, I've often said that Enterprise Season 4 is some of the best Trek ever filmed, right? And it's when they finally just started to, like, tell Star Trek stories. Like, how come Vulcans uh, are kind of jerks in Enterprise and then they're nice when we get to the TOS time? Why do Klingons not have bumpy foreheads in TOS? I mean, they sort of talk about Trek in Season 4, right? They finally got to it. This show's going to be set 10, 15 years before TOS. I would like them to not not drive so close to the bumper. You know what I mean? I'd much rather they were in another lane. And so I think even if they want to call the first officer, if she's the lieutenant commander, number one, that's fine. Riker is number one 80 years later, 90 years, whatever. That's fine if they want to refer to her as number one. But I, I think she needs to be a different number one and not that number one because they're already pulling in Sarek. And I guarantee you we're going to see Harry Mudd at some point. And we're going to, I mean, I, I like homages and touchstones are great, but I think that Number one, too much of us. Yeah, yeah. Number one, first officer, Captain Pike. That was the thing. Okay, that's great. Tell us new stories. I want to see new Star Trek stories. Uh, the occasional touchstone is fine, but even having Sarek announced this early on, even that seems like you're driving too close to the old Star Trek bumper. I think I agree with you there, Tony, with everything that you said. I wonder if Gene Roddenberry had when he when he hired Nichelle Nichols if she was who he thought of for this character, right? Uh, in the dis- Just on the description, you know, a beautiful Nile Valley woman. I mean, a beautiful black woman, you know, agile and, and, and strong. I mean, Nichelle would have played this amazingly. And now we have Sonequa Martin-Green, who is also a very beautiful black woman. 
strong and a talented actress. I I don't mind. I wouldn't mind if it was in fact this number one. Yeah. I, again, I'd rather they didn't drive so close to the bumper. Tell her. Tell her own story. Tell a different story. What? Wait. But hold on a second. Why? Why? You just said that your best season of Enterprise was the fourth season when they drove close right. to the bumper. And now, and now, now they've learned that lesson, right? And so what they're like, oh, well, we should just do more of that, and they push it too far. You know, it's like, you know, no, 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 no. To come back to the middle, right? Enterprise should have been part-time that and part-time doing different things. They went all the way overboard like, oh, we got to do something completely different. Oh, we have to, you know, Klingons and time warps. and eh. They should have been doing, they should have been telling Trek stories and Enterprise stories kind of mixed together. And I want them to, I want Discovery to do Discovery stories and then occasionally throw us a bone to, you know, the, to the yeah, but Why can't this be her story before she... She's the, the protagonist. It's all her story. If she's the protagonist, the whole thing is her story. And I don't want a story of how number one became number one of Captain Pike's first officer. I don't want that story. That's not a story I'm interested in. I'm interested in the USS Discovery, New Worlds, Civilizations, Boldly Going, blah, blah, blah. And so I want, I, and I want it to go a different place. Again, we were Star Trek. We started in Star Trek Online. Cryptic's doing the 25th century stuff, Boldly Going, all that stuff. We're going to be here in the 23rd century prior to Captain Kirk. We know where that main timeline goes. I don't need to follow that anymore. Take me someplace else. Yeah, I mean, and in fact, to draw a parallel to what Tony is saying. So I'm going to switch Star franchises for a second. So Star Star Wars, right? So Rogue One was a film that was meant to take place between episodes three and four in Star Wars. And there was all the potential there that we, it was going to be a foregone conclusion because we know what happens in episode four, like right there. So if those characters in any way ended up in episode four, you kind of would know what happened to them. And then Rogue One, I think, in a way, was really successful because you didn't know. There wasn't a you know where they are going to end up. So I can kind of see what Tony is saying, but I also have to draw it back. We don't actually know anything about number one. She was only in that one episode, and it was very open. So we do know that at some point in the future, she's on Captain Pike's ship for one mission. We don't know more than that. And the reason that I find her interesting is... Because that woman was completely out of place, not just on that starship, but in television from the 60s. I mean, that was like, that character was incredibly ahead of her time. And I want to know the backstory of how she got there. Right, so ahead of her time that it was between her and Spock. It was one or the other. And Gene Roddenberry chose no, Spock. No, no, I think the brass chose Spock. Gene Roddenberry's like, you can have a chick or the devil man. And they're like, we'll take the man. We'll take the devil. No, man. no, no. Uh, if I'm no, if I'm not mistaken, it was Get your book it out. was he he. All right, look. Oh, actually, I have. Get your book because I'm not, I'm gonna make good radio here and present my case while he's away from the microphone and can't help it. Uh, yeah, I th I'm pretty sure that the brass was like, no, a woman. Come on, seriously, who's taking orders from abroad, right? You know, give me another pack of smokes. Pass the brandy, you know. Well, no, to be, to be fair, I might have made that decision as well because I think in terms of storytelling potential, you have a lot more there because he's an alien. And he was the only alien on that crew, yeah, so... They didn't, like him. Yeah. They, they didn't like Spock either. They were not fans of Spock. They didn't like Spock and they didn't like number one. But Roddenberry's like, I'm working on a sci-fi script here. Gotta give me some room to run. To be fair... I just think in that case, it would be easier to drop the woman and get another woman at some point in the future than it would be to, to lose the alien who is... Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
plus they spent all the money on the ears. Okay, all right, so here it is. Okay, so this is from These Are the Voyages, uh, season one by Mark Cushman, who we've uh, had on the show before. There was also a request from the network to shake up the cast. Roddenberry himself had decided not to bring back John Hoyt as the doctor. When the smoke cleared, only Mr. Spock made the cut, despite NBC's reservations. They hated Spock. Roddenberry shared the story often. The network told me to get rid of number one. Oh, yeah, all right. Thank you. You're the welcome. <laughs> the network told me to get rid of number one, the woman first lieutenant, and also to get rid of the Martian fellow. I knew I couldn't keep both, so I gave the stoicism. Well, you see, that was the thing, though. He had to, he could have, he was fighting for one or the other. I knew I couldn't keep both, so I gave the stoicism of the female officer to Spock and married the actress who played number one. Thank God it wasn't the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, so they wanted her off, but they also wanted Spock off, and his he had a he had to he had to bargain one for the other. So he probably could have fought for Majel to be. She showed up again as Nurse one. Chapel and as the voice, as the voice of the computer, and his wife. You see here, look, Majel. Majel recalled Gene sat down with me and said he knew this was going to break my heart. The network had given him orders to get rid of the characters number one and Spock. Then he explained to me that he could probably fight to save one character, but not both. He told me about how badly he wanted to keep Spock and how important the character could become to the series. Uh, he tried to be very nice about it, and he also said, we'll work you into it. Somehow or another, you'll be in the show. And I just sunk. I had wanted the role so badly. And it was everything I'd wish for. I mean, Gene wrote it for me, for God's sake. So being let go was devastating. So, again, yeah, the, the network wanted both gone, but Gene had to fight for one or the other, and he chose to fight for Spock. Right. I think history bears them out. Good choice. And I can see where people would want the story, number one. You know, our co-host, Kenna, here. I, I mean, I, I see her. I just don't think this is the vehicle. I mean, literally, it's not the vehicle. This is the USS Discovery. It should go that way. The Enterprise, we know about the Enterprise. And number one is a character that somebody will, I think, eventually take on in some form or another. You know, it's it's she's she's, I mean, as a min, as, as minor character uh, characters go, she's prominent enough that somebody could take her on at some point and do something into a comic book, a novel, uh, novel series. I mean, you know, uh, hell, we might get a Star Trek uh, online mission about going back in time and saving number one. I don't know. I mean, anything's possible, but. I, I, I would like to see them take Discovery and go that way and let the Enterprise go a different way. So that brings us to this week's first community question. What do you think? Do you think there's enough evidence to support the theory that Sonequa Martin-Green will be playing the same character known only as number one from The Cage? While we're on the topic of characters on the new series, the news broke that actress Emily Coots was slated to be a con officer on Star Trek Discovery. The headline hit places like Inverse, Trek News, Trek Today, and other spots. However, it looks like all that has changed. Star Trek Discovery is no longer listed as a credit on her IMDb page, nor is there a mention of her on Discovery's IMDb page. Even further, it looks as if her Twitter account has been deactivated. So who will helm the Discovery? Only time will tell. And in more Discovery news, CBS This Week published a very special video honoring the legacy of Star Trek on television, while also ushering in a new era for the franchise. Titled Star Trek Discovery Voyages into Production, the minute-long video proves that Discovery is, in fact, in the works. 
From set construction to wireframe ship designs to costumes, this video has something for everyone and is bound to get any Trekkie excited. I am actually quite excited about this. There, if you kind of analyze this video frame by frame, you can actually get a, a quite a bit of information about how production is going. First of all, those sets look pretty intricate. There's a lot of woodwork and carpentry going on. I think some of the highlights that you are getting from that production video uh, are the costumes, both what are arguably Klingon regalia and the new Starfleet uniform, which looks pretty slick. It does look pretty slick. I like that the, the, the chevron is a little kind of like embossed into the, in, it's, it's not like just a regular pin that's you know on the clothing, but it's almost like inside the, the, the outfit. It's, it's part of the outfit, part of the, the material. You also get a little silhouette of the new captain's chair, which is interesting. There are pictures of the discovery that we have already seen from that teaser trailer, which arguably people did not like. It was a very controversial ship design. Yeah, and they said that it wasn't going to be the final design either, so it's a little confused why it still looks exactly the same, but actually a little bit fancier. Right. Well, then in another frame, you see a wireframe model of another ship, of some other type of ship. So what could that which be? Which is, is rumored to be the Akira class, and we think it's probably the Shenzhou, which is it's, Michelle Yeoh's character's yeah, it's not the Akira. Ship. It is, it's, it's, it's like, uh, just like how uh, the original, the, uh, the Enterprise Enterprise, Scott Bakula ship, was kind of a flipped over Akira. This is like they re-flipped it back over to be Akira-shaped, and then didn't put the back end on it. Almost. So it's like an Enterprise derivative. It's like if the Enterprise... It's like if the the Enterprise Enterprise, Scott Bakula's Enterprise, and the Reliant from Wrath of Khan had a baby. Right. It would look like this. Right, okay. It would look like this. Okay. Yeah, I think that's the best way to describe it. You know, I'm going to give credit where credit is due. This is a very well-produced video from CBS. I, between the music, that beginning montage, and the voiceover work, very well produced and put together it was very moving and touching i i'm pleasantly surprised that uh that cbs pr produced this because again remember that 50th anniversary video came out was kind of underwhelming this kind of this kind of got my my geek engines churning a bit because i got really excited about it yeah, I, I'm going to be the voice of cynicism, though, because... Oh, thank God. I'm so tired of being the voice of cynicism. <laughs> Sorry, that's Somebody not else's term. Me. Somebody else's term. It did, it did, because the first half of the video is some old pictures and it's very sort of nostalgia-inducing, it does feel a little bit like they're throwing us a bone because, like, two weeks ago they said we're not getting it for mm, maybe forever. So it, it does feel a little bit like... Somebody in the PR department went, oh, crap, we got to give them something. It's like someone's listening to our show. Ooh. Yeah, because because what content did we really get? I mean, we got two ship designs, a couple of costumes, the, the set. Okay, so things are happening, but that's not enough to shoot a whole show yet. I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. I think it probably appears that way just because it makes it look fancy and promo-y, teaser-y. But uh, there's not there's not an awful lot of meat there. 
I, you know what? I usually I'm the one that poo poos on everything. <laughs> yeah, I know usually. that you guys are like, oh, it's the cynicism. No, no, I'm the one that usually poo poos on this, and this tug at my heartstrings a bit. I was like, oh, this is exciting. I'm, you know, oh, look at the look. There's they they made costumes. Look at that Klingon regalia. That's that, those are intricate patterns, intricate designs. So this is obviously not being as thrown together as we have feared it to be. All right, so so here's what I don't like. What did they do with the Delta? Yeah, exactly. It looks like somebody went, uh-oh, and like accidentally published a, a, a Photoshop like error. And they were like, oh man, we published this now. We got to stick with it. Because the original Delta for Discovery was split. There was a there was a space between it, like not halfway through it, but a little, you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden now it's like overlaid. And it's weird. It's weird looking, and I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I have to agree. I have to agree completely, 100%. It seems like it's such a small thing to nitpick about, but the thing about symbols and symbolism is they're supposed to be simple. It's The, the thing, though, about the Delta, okay, uh, is it is iconic, and you can... Star Trek nerds know all the Deltas. I, I confess that I do not know all the Deltas, but I, can, I know a good chunk of them. The proper, proper Star Trek nerds, like, can can look at any Delta off of any uniform from any season of any of the shows and the films and know exactly where it came from and what rank it was. Got your Next Generation Delta, you got your Voyager Delta, I've got my Wrath of Khan Delta on my Monster Maroon, I'm not going to go peel off right now. And I know that there's one that is a split, I can't remember which one it is, but... I want to say it's like a, on a dress uniform in one of the films. Anyway, I can't remember which one it is. Uh, it, the Delta is important. And this one looks weird, like it's been folded or something. I What I hope is that it actually means something. Like there's a meaning to it. And that it's not just some designer or a prop master saying, Ah, crap, we got to make it look different. <laughs> This looks like a mistake. This looks like an error that they were like, oh, man, we've made it. Now we have to commit. Shucks, you know. Symbols need to be simple. They need to be, you know, easily rep reproduced with a hand, a hand stroke. You know, they just, you know, a sweep at the bottom and a sweep at the top and a little star smiley face in the middle. It, it's got to be simple. This looks, it's too complicated, especially with years of history of it being simple. So if you freeze frame on the uniforms that we assume are the Klingon, it's got a bit of a Geiger feel to them, right? It's very, it's almost bony and scaly, very intricate layers upon layers of armor and shielding. Geiger being the, the artist that designed most of what we are familiar with when we think of movies like Alien, for instance, that bio tech kind of thing. Bony spikes coming out of the shoulders. It's very interesting take on, on Klingon warriors, I have to say. I don't know why, but I'm looking at it here, and it kind of reminds me of Herogen armor. Yes, yes, it does, as a matter of fact. You're right. That was, I, I seen it. That was the first thing that came to my mind. But I can see why, you know, you're thinking Klingon armor, because it, it probably is Klingon armor, but there's something Herogen about it as well at the same time. But well, that's kind of, almost kind of scary. You know, it's like it's almost like the Simpsons did it territory, like, you know, where it's, it's self-referential now. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're going for there. It's like Herogen. No, it's a totally original Klingon armor. No, it's re we're redoing things. Look, the Delta's cut in half, and it's got a weird thing on the side. It's different. It's weird. No, no, it looks a lot like Herogen armor. We've seen this before. 
I don't think it looks remotely like Klingon armor. So I know I know that that's kind of the general consensus on it, but I I don't know. I think we need to wait and see. The costume design on the actual Starfleet uniform is just stunning. I mean, you get a really nice close-up of what the new uniform is potentially going to be. This gold trim is gorgeous. This whoever the costume designer is on this new series is just an amazingly talented person. So captains, you've heard what we have to say and we want to know what you think of the video. Send off on this and our previous community question in the comment section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO304 or by replying to us on Facebook or Twitter. All right, Captains, now let's check out what happened this week in Star Trek Online. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, Captains, welcome again to Star Trek Online News, where it seems that Season 12, Reckoning, got off to a bit of a rocky start. But that's okay, because it's all fine now, right? I think everything's fine, because there were two patches. There better be. Right. It better be fine. <laughs> After two patches, because uh, there are some... F- it's getting better. Oh, oh, I don't like that. <laughs> that was, yeah, that's not a good sign. But, uh, well, there were some fairly major bugs affecting gameplay progress in the featured episode of Signs and Portents. And in the Zenkethi Battle Zone, we had, as we mentioned, not one, but two patches. Uh, notes for both were short and sassy. Uh, but the featured episode and the Battle Zone should be working more as intended, according to our man on the street, Mr. Winters. Uh, There was another line in Thursday's patch notes that had some players scratching their heads. There's been a change in how the overflow bag works in your inventory. Players may now see, quote, a warning that an action cannot be completed until enough items are removed from the overflow bag, end quote. Different actions impose different limits. For example, if there are more than 50 items in your overflow bag, you won't be able to complete admiralty assignments. The limit is 100 for accepting missions. It's not particularly clear whether this change is an actual change to functionality, a bug fix, or simply a quality of life improvement. Of course, if you've been affected by the change, then please do let us know via one of our social media channels or leave a comment on the blog post for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO304. We'll leave links to both patch notes in there as well. I want to ask Winners though. Winners, you were you were you were, you were sucking in your breath a little bit with the thing on the overflow bag. What's 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 the deal there, man on the street, Winters? One thing that I do an awful lot of is getting DOFs to put fleet projects on cooldown, and uh. I would open up a couple of hundred at a time. Now I have my duty officer roster 100% maxed out, and the way it was before, I could easily open up DOFs and they would just go into my overflow bag. Mm. And I could still open up a couple of hundred DOFs, put them into the fleet, job done. Today, I couldn't do that. Once ah. I reached my cap, nothing would go into the overflow bag. So I was left with, like, opening 20 boxes. And I had to get rid of them, open up another 20 boxes, instead of being able to open, let's say, a hundred or whatever. Mm. So for, for power users, this could be actually something of a detriment. Uh, yeah, but a little me, bit. Yeah, I'm assuming that that's going to not affect that many people, though. No, but not. not the vast majority. Yes, but there's a big caveat here. I mean, you're you are going to be affecting some of your your big time whales, for lack of a better word, maybe. Right. Uh, your power mm-hmm. users, and that's. But we've had. But Al's been on here a lot of times throughout the years talking about how database heavy the game is. 
and yes. and having an overflow bag really sort of defeats the purpose of having a set limit of bank mm-hmm. slots and, and, and maintaining uh, some sort of control over that. So compromise, I guess. Maybe they need to reinvestigate this a little bit, uh, tweak it some, maybe... Well, who knows? You know, maybe there was some little exploit, uh, you know, regarding the overflow bag and this is how they've rectified it. Yeah, mm-hmm. could be. You know, we, we, we just don't know. It could be that people were contributing too many DOFs to fleet projects and they're like, we got to put a mm. stop to this because this yeah. Winters guy is just, just abusing the <laughs> heck out of the system. And that guy, public enemy number one. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna put the kibosh on that. Captains, close your eyes. And if you will, think back on episode three oh two, where we discussed how much of Star Trek space would be covered by Star Trek Online. Okay, you can open your eyes now, because this week Cryptic has published their own updated map of the Star Trek Online Galaxy, complete with the new Alpha Quadrant sectors that were released with season twelve. The new sector space map is beautifully detailed, and in addition to every system being located on the map, you can also find them via an index down the side. All the sectors on the map, funnily enough, are still defined into sector blocks as well as sectors. Sector blocks, of course, haven't been functionally used since the launch of Season 10, The Iconian War. That was when the sector walls came down and we all got to be heroes of Tanagra, just for one day. I have a small little correction for that. Sector blocks technically are still being used because that's where your DOF assignments are. Ah, yes, okay. Yes. Mm. If you're stuck on the nostalgia of the whole thing, there's also a map of what sector space looked like when Star Trek Online launched back in 2010. Wowza. It's fun to play spot the difference between the two. Even the Azure Sector, home to New Romulus, didn't exist way back then. And the Delta Quadrant was merely a twinkle in Cryptic's eye. The New Galaxy Star Chart is available now for your perusal. Or you can download it and use it as a desktop wallpaper. It's in super high res, so the detail is going to be great. And a big shout out to Tim Davis, who put this map together for our enjoyment over at Cryptic Studios. Well, moving on to console news, captains on the Xbox One and PlayStation 4 have yet another new ship bundle to consider purchasing in the C-Store, and this is one I highly recommend that you consider. So you know how everyone has their favorite ship? Well, mine is the Tier 6 Arbiter, I have the fleet version, which just happens to be one of the three ships available in the new Tier 6 Cross-Faction Battlecruiser bundle. The bundle contains the Arbiter for Federation Captains, the Kurak for Romulans, and the Moog for Klingons. Now, what makes these ships stand out for me is their 5-3 weapons configuration. For my playstyle, that's ideal because I can either fly head-on or broadside, depending on the situation, with no loss of firepower. Now, that's using beams on the front and omnidirectional beams on the back. So for someone like me who doesn't enjoy endlessly tweaking their setup, that weapons layout is ideal. But it's not just the weapons layout. I use the clickable ability from the Universal Console on a regular basis. Ablative Hazard Shielding is basically a temporary secondary shield, and when it expires, it heals your primary shields. And also, the Starship Trait Emergency Weapon Cycle enhances the Emergency Power to Weapons ability to also include a reduction in weapons power cost and a boost to weapon firing speed. Overall, these ships are set up for firepower and survivability, and design-wise, they all look like really traditional, faction-specific ships to me, so in my books, they're just about perfect. I actually wrote a love song to my fleet arbiter. I didn't know if you guys knew that. 
It's up on our YouTube page. Well, if you like Canada and enjoy the aesthetic aspects of the ships of Star Trek and Star Trek Online, then you might want to make your way to Oakland, California this month. Thomas Maroney, lead Starship artist for Star Trek Online, is set to give a talk at the Chabot Space and Science Center on February 18th entitled The Starships of Star Trek the other main characters, where he will, quote, discuss the history of Star Trek starships, what makes the starships memorable, and what goes into designing a new ship for the Star Trek universe, end quote. The talk is part of Star Trek 50 Artists 50 Years Touring Exhibit, which is at the Chabot Center from February 3rd to the 19th. If you didn't get a chance to see the exhibit at Star Trek Las Vegas or Destination Star Trek last year, then this is another great opportunity to see it in person. In addition to Cryptic's own Thomas the Cat, the exhibit features a wide variety of Star Trek-themed art, including sculptures, paintings, and more. Yeah, I can really recommend that you go and see this, because I, I got the chance to see it in person at Destination Star Trek last year, and at first I wasn't really sure what was going on, because it's a, it's a whole bunch of really, really different things, but it's a really good variety of artwork. There's some sculptures there. It's a huge Borg cube made out of Hot Wheels. That was cool. It's huge. It's huge. And uh, really, really worth a visit. If you are at all into art and at all into Star Trek, which I assume you are because you're listening to this podcast, um, and if you are in the Oakland area, I would highly recommend going and checking it out. A huge congratulations to Thomas Maroney. I mean, Thomas Maroney, for those of you that don't know, was a Star Trek Online fan like you and I, right? They, he was just a player and submitted a mini game idea that they picked up and lo and behold, got hired to work at Cryptic Studios and is now designing starships. I mean, talk about dream job. So yeah. congratulations to Thomas Maroney. I mean, what a great career path. Way to go, man. Congrats. So before we move on, this weekend was originally marked down as a Dilithium weekend in the blogs that were published, but in-game it was marked as a Dilithium week. I got confirmation from the community manager, Mike Fadum, that it is now actually a full Dilithium week, ending on February 9th. So keep that in mind. There's still a few days left to farm as much Dilithium as you can get your hands on. I now know what I should be doing with my Dilithium mining passes for the asteroid. Mm. Yeah, same as. And captains, in an effort to cover other things happening in other Star Trek games, this week we've had word that Star Trek Timelines, the mobile and Facebook game from Disruptor Beam, is launching a brand new player versus player mode. Fascinating. Called The Gauntlet, it's a tournament where you select five of your best crew members to go up against other players in a head-to-head -head battle. The loot boxes you can win contain components or equipment for your crew as well as a number of other possible rewards. You even have the chance to win Locutus of Borg, a playable crew member only available through The Gauntlet. The gauntlet will be rolled out gradually to players, so it's tested along the way. And it's expected to be available for all players soon. Trademark. Well, that's it for this week's Star Trek Online news, but now let's check in with Jace for another Treklit 101. Hello Captains, this is Jace with the latest edition of Treklit 101. This month I bring our ongoing mission to its conclusion. That is, this week we'll take a look at the final two volumes of IDW's Star Trek ongoing series, which, as it so happens, is no longer going on. 
Next time, we'll pick up with more of Waypoint and Boldly Go, whose first issues we've looked at in past episodes, but for now, let's get right into it. Volume 12 turns the action up to 11, as the Enterprise is thrown off course by an ion storm and finds itself near SETI Alpha 5. And to paraphrase BuzzFeed, what they find there will shock you. This storyline, Live Evil, puts several fan-favorite original series Trek concepts in the blender, then sets it to puree. So if you like the Mirror Universe, Khan and his augments, or even Harcourt, Fenton Mud, this one might just be for you. The Mirror JJ-verse is an interesting place to say the least, and this is an all-new storyline despite its TOS inspirations, full of cool twists and intriguing encounters. The second story in the volume, Reunion, features Uhura's Orion roommate from the Academy, Gala, who along with her brother were the first two Orions in Starfleet. We learn some backstory on the pair as the Enterprise rendezvous with Gala's ship, the USS Tereshkova. Problems arise with the Syndicate that has ties back to Into Darkness, which has been a recurring theme in the series since that film's revelation about Section 31 and, of course, Admiral Marcus. Of course, the awkward reunion of Kirk and Gala is also a highlight of the story, but I'll leave that for you to read for yourselves. The final volume, Lucky Number 13, begins with a story called Legacy of Spock. This is IDW's tribute to the late Leonard Nimoy, and it's a tale that spins together some threads from the first two Kelvin timeline films, the TNG episode Unification, and elsewhere, to give Spock a fitting send-off in one of the final stories of this series. I can't really do it justice here, but I think you'll find that this is probably the finest storyline in the ongoing series. But it's not the last one. Last but not least, we come to Connection, the last story arc of this series prior to Star Trek Beyond and its new beginning in Boldly Go. In Connection, the crew of the Enterprise encounters a unique anomaly. We've never heard that before, right? In this one, though, members of the crew seem to hallucinate being on an alternate Enterprise and being alternate versions of themselves. In fact, the crews of the Prime Enterprise and Kelvin Enterprise are crossing over as the energies of the anomaly cause both matter and energy transfers between the two. It's a very cool send-off to the series, though sadly a bit rushed in parts. Only a hint at exploring the differences between the two versions of the crew, more of a wink and a nod than a nuanced tale. Nonetheless, I enjoyed it, found it to be a worthwhile ending to ongoing. Overall, I would say Legacy of Spock is the stronger of the two, but I think it's safe to say if you were to read only one volume of this series, I would recommend volume number 13. Well, it's been quite a run getting to this point, but we've caught up with Star Trek Beyond and now the future is uncharted. We'll pick up next time with some more stories from Waypoint and the first arc of Boldly Go. That's all for this month's Treklit 101. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Episode 303's first community question was, if the next Google Pixel or iPhone had an integrated tricorder, would it be a deal breaker for you? Is this something you'd want to see on every smartphone designed and developed? From Patreon, David S. commented, I'd love to be able to take regular medical scans which could then be shared with my doctor in order to catch anything before it turns. From PartyOnPodcast.com, Stephen J. says, Would I like a medical tricorder on my phone? Gods, no. I'm bad enough with WebMD. It's the last thing I need. I would like my doctor to have one, though. Might prevent a few extra pokes and prods around the shuttle bay. 
from the Star Trek Online forums, Wombat140 said, I can see how devices like this could be hugely useful and fun for scientists in some situations. Amateur scientists included. I've seen something like this on a TV documentary a while ago. That one, calibrated to read off the amount of various metallic elements on a surface, again by spectrometry, and was being used to see whether a painting was genuine or not by comparing the composition of the painting to the other works by the same artist. From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Sean Newboy wrote, Wonderful show, everyone. If it had blood glucose testing, sure, absolutely. Um, Now, that I do actually find is quite useful. If they had something that was plugged into your smartphone that just did that and kept track of all of that. Um, In fact, I'm not entirely sure that there isn't already one. So maybe one of our listeners can tell us. But it seems like an ideal use for a tricorder-enabled smartphone. Episode 303's second community question was, could Star Trek benefit from writers like Gary Whitta, who have written successful films like Rogue One? One of our patrons, David S., commented, Star Trek can always benefit from new writers as long as those writers understand what Star Trek is about. That is true. Point of order. I think that's a very tall order. uh, Because I think Star Trek is about a lot of different things for a lot of different people. That's, That's part of the problem, I think, and why it's such a minefield creating a new Star Trek property. Because to some people... Star Trek is a lighthearted sci-fi romp and then to some other people it's a very you know it's a deep dive look into contemporary social issues and for other people it's a fluff piece I don't know but it's it's different for different people different different viewers different fans get different things out of Star Trek one of the best Star Trek episodes ever is one of considered as City on the Edge of Forever. It was written by Harlan Ellison, a guy that was just a science fiction writer. And Roddenberry invited him in and said, well, let's not get into the politics of all that. But, I mean, there's some politics that go on with that, with that show, with that episode. But it's widely considered one of the best Star Trek episodes ever. But it was written by a guy that Roddenberry sort of brought in. Uh, Star Trek II, written largely, or, or at least rewritten mostly, by Nick Meyer. Who was not a Star Trek guy at all? He watched the he watched the series before he before he directed it, but that was a movie that was written as a movie, and Star Trek just sort of got mixed in. I think that is kind of where our community question was going, and hopefully the direction people are taking this. You bring in people who are good writers, and it's up to the showrunner and the actors and you know the Bible keepers to make it Star Trek. And finally, from the Star Trek Online forums, Tyler Maxwell says. Trek could always use more good writers. That's where all the best episodes come from, so sure. Yeah. That, that was the thrust of the community questions. Like, do you need more, you need good writers, and it's up to the showrunner and the other people involved in the production to turn a good story into a good Star Trek story. And I think that's, I think that's where they need to shoot for. Well, that wraps up episode 304 of Priority One Podcast. And we'd like to send a special thanks to our Patreon supporters this month, Navy Boat Slew, David S., Lee Malian and Admiral. And before we go, here are our community questions for this week. Do you think there's enough evidence to support the theory that Sonequa Martin-Green will be playing the same character, known only as Number One from The Cage? And what are your thoughts on the latest teaser for Star Trek Discovery? 
Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or tweet us via at PriorityOnePod. You can even leave us a voicemail via SpeakPipe. Just click on the widget on our homepage. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.PriorityOnePodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Thursday nights on Facebook.com around 11 p.m. Eastern in the month of February. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. Now, if that wasn't enough, you can also join us in Star Trek Online and experience the Star Trek storyline by joining the Priority One Armada. If you're interested, just head over to PriorityOneArmada.com and sign up today. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at GuardFrequency.com, covering the world of space sims, including Star Citizen, Elite Dangerous, Descent Underground, and many more. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. Thanks to our audio team led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker, Jake Morgan, and Niall Fernandez with support from Midnight Shadow 7 of Hollow Sweet Media. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Thanks to our associate producer, Navy Boat Slew. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert, ready weapons. Engage. back to me why is it back to me because mm. because it says elijah right there <laughs> yeah it says so thanks to get thanks to, there we go i got one word out <sighs> okay i actually wrote a love song to my fleet arbiter i didn't know if you guys knew that it's up on our youtube page um can somebody please stop me gushing about it because no no, because I like the Arbiter, did you too. Seri- did you seriously make a video that I didn't know about? No, no, about no. This was the, the one Arbiter? I did last year. It's the style video. That's my love song to my fleet Arbiter. Yeah. Maybe I didn't see this one. Your style video? Mm-hmm. It's there. It's on the Priority One YouTube We'll channel? put a link in the show. No, screw that. <laughs> yeah, we're putting it up now. We got this fancy No, we're putting it right now. Yeah, hold on a second. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, do it. Hold on a second. Let's get this going. So, all right. So, first of all, 
I had no idea that that video was published on Priority The Podcast funniest thing about yeah. this video is that yes, something happened on our channel that Elijah didn't know about in a proven triplicate. That's the funniest knew, thing about you knew, this. You knew about it. Yes. It was over. It was like it was a year ago. It was when the um, it was when the uh, the the big Voth ship um, event was going on. The breach. This was definitely all right. So this is my leadership skills speaking here. My production. This was definitely, this was definitely one of those moments where I definitely was like, yeah, Kenna, sure, whatever. <laughs> I, I trust you. Do whatever you like. Yeah. Do it. Do what you think is best. <laughs> you're, you're good. You're good. Whatever you like. Whatever you like. Now that is not a, that is not a comment to the quality of the video because that that's video cool. was epic. It's cool. Oh, that's me. I'm sorry. <sighs> On Patreon, da- Patreon. On who? Oh, I spent so much time working on pa- Patreon. <laughs> Patreon. 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 Uh, Patreon fix everything. Did you? Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. Sorry, that's a very, very old ad. Um. Turns into what? Hmm. For turns. He's like takes Jekyll and Hyde. Turn like, for the worst. I guess it takes a turn. Turning into Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, turn if for... If only I had a tricorder to have detected this! No, no, turn for the worst. I think that's mm-hmm. what, that's yeah. short for that, I think. From PartyOnePodcast.com, Stephen J <laughs> says, What I... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, got on tar- got on, it's got it on sale for you, Target. A, okay, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Video has been a bad move for us. That's all I can say. It's just been a bad, <laughs> bad move for us. It's a bad move for us, but it's, the listeners love it. <laughs> it's a bad move for us. Okay. All right. Um, right. From podcast.com. <laughs> Wait, what was it that, that they quoted Our Vera? is saying it was like season something is... Oh, the, that was Delta Rising. <laughs> it's the best expansion ever, and the players, the players love, love it. it going yes. live. Going live is the best... Thing we've ever done, and the, and the listeners, listeners love it. Yeah. And the listeners love it. Okay, all right. Love you, Al. Love you, Al. <laughs> love you, Al. Okay. Uh, okay. So I'll go ahead and read now the, the part of the show that we usually. Okay. Yes, please. Okay. Don't miss a thing from the world of Star Trek. Cat. No. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon. The letter P for Patreon. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. And yes, I always skip the Harry Potter and Farmville and whatever else you guys throw in there every single time. I read right over it. Don't even see it anymore.